Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I'll Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. We finally, finally are launching our Sminty Feminist Book Club. Yay! It's been a long time coming. Please start sending in suggestions, please. We already have a few good ones. Oh, excellent. I'm kind of excited. Yeah, I've gotten some that I'm definitely very, very excited about. Um, Our first iteration of it... I was going to ha- include the the creators. Yeah. I don't think we'll be able to do that every time, but this time. Right. Yes. And it'll be two voices you should probably recognize, Kristen and Caroline Yay. of Unladylike, to talk about their book, Unladylike, A Field Guide to Smashing the Patriarchy and Claiming Your Space. And also, yes, former hosts, creators of this very show. Oh. It was super meta and a little intimidating for me <laughs> because I, I started out as an intern, young, naive, didn't know much about feminism on this show. I was intimidated then. <laughs> and it's just, it's been my job for so long. I was the video producer. And then to see them go and create this badass company and, and write this book and their podcast and then be on this one when I sort of have this this whole history. It was a little it was uh, a little intimidating and kind of meta in a weird it way. It was meta, I think. I think yeah. they felt that too. Yeah. <laughs> it was odd. It was like we were in two different timelines and we were converging or something. <laughs> It's true. The past and the present meet. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But we had an amazing conversation, and um, I guess we should just go ahead, hop right in. Let's do this thing. Today is a very special day. Today is the inaugural episode of our book club. Finally. It's been almost a year. And we are so excited to get this going. And as many of the listeners already know, this is the... Amazing episode with the lovely Kristen and Caroline of Unladylike. What? Hello. Hello. Creators and hosts of Sminty and now with Unladylike. Would you like to introduce yourself? Okay. My name is Kristen Conger. I'm happy to be here. And I'm here with my work wife and co-host and co-author, Ms. Caroline Irvin. Hi. I'm Caroline Irvin. I'm a Sagittarius, yes. was born in Atlanta, and uh, I am the other half of Unladylike Media. Yay. Yes. Well, how do you feel like being born in Sagittarius has impacted your life? Um, Sagittarius is a very Unladylike sign. I also am a Sag. Yeah, really? Kristen, wow. Kristen's only like a week younger plus a year. Oh, wow. Me. <laughs> mm-hmm. I totally feel like I identify with the good parts. Oh, I like that. Absolutely. Selective. Yes, I'm very selective. Uh, yes, astrology is wonderful as long as you're really selective about it. <laughs> I also feel like I identify with uh, the the bad parts of oh. being a Sagittarius. But I, I do feel like anytime you're talking to someone and you mention that you're a Sag, you usually get a like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> like the immediate understanding what of kind you. Of We just interviewed a Leo with a Virgo moon, and she was thrilled to hear that she was talking to two Sagittarians. Mm -hmm. Really? I was like, cool. So next question. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, 
I will look more into that later because I don't know much about astrology, but you, Samantha, you bring it up sometimes. I do because I am absolutely a Libra. As you like balance, I like balance. I'm a little stubborn. I got all the things. I, feel I like, like stubborn. Justice. Falls under all the signs. Yeah, I'm about justice, and I need everybody to chill the f- out. Sounds good. <laughs> I like that. That's about how. I, apparently, I'm a little dramatic too. I didn't think I was, but every now and again, that's not, it comes maybe out. Maybe you got a little sad in you. Know, it comes out <laughs> every now and again. She wishes. I <laughs> oh. <laughs> Hey, 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 hey. Hey, let's hey. keep this family kids, friendly, Caroline. Kids, kids, come kids, on. Kids, kids, come on, come on. <laughs> well, as this is book club, yes. we are here to talk about the book that the, the book. two of you wrote. Congratulations, first of all. That is Thank no you. easy feat. Not at all. Um, and we were both super excited to have you in here to talk about it. Um, super excited to read it. It is beautifully illustrated, beautifully written. So thanks for being here. Um, could you give us kind of a brief overview of the book and what made you decide to write it and kind of go the route that you did? Yes. So the book is Unladylike, a field guide to smashing the patriarchy and claiming your space. And what it is is essentially a top to bottom, head to tail, inside out look at how gender works, where our very ideas about gender came from, and also within that how patriarchy in particular, along with all of the other isms of racism and ableism, uh, classism, all intertwine to sort of shape the worlds around us and our experiences in that. And we really just kind of wanted it to be a holistic feminist life guide slash like semi self-help manual. Yeah, we we really wanted to reach an audience of young folks. Sort of the target demo was like folks just maybe out of college encountering these isms uh, in the real world for the first time. Um, But honestly, we've been really thrilled (laughs) to have such a range of readers. It's been really exciting. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, in a lot of ways, it's the book that we wish that we had when when we were younger, when we mm-hmm. were even before, like, getting into college and getting out into the real world. But the journey of Unladylike, both, I would say, really the book, but even the podcast as well, started at a women's leadership conference at Clemson University, where a student asked us a question that left us kind of scratching our heads. And rather than offering her a succinct answer and forgetting about it and going on with our lives, we kept thinking about it and ended up writing a whole book. <laughs> so Caroline, can, you, can yeah. you kind of unpack that? So yeah, we had done this talk on imposter syndrome and a bunch of young women came up to us after the talk and this one particular young woman said, listen, like here I am at this <laughs> engineering school I'm in classes with so many more men than women, and how can I speak up when I'm about to be shouted down at any moment, like all the time? I feel like I'm always talked over. And, you know, we did give her some, like, basic advice, you know, like kind of you go girl stuff, you got this. But on the car ride home, back from Clemson, we started thinking about, like, what? would be some better advice because, you know, there are some really great books out there. You know, you have Bad Feminist by Roxane Gay. You Mm -hmm. have Yes, Please. You have Bossy Pants. You have all of these awesome, like, memoirs and essay collections out there. 
But we kept trying to think, like, what would be a more, as Kristen said, holistic guide to taking on some of these issues that actually gets at the context, at the why? Because Mm -hmm. we really felt like once you understand the why, why things are the way they are, that sets you up way better to tackle the actual issues. And so, yeah, we we started kind of brainstorming about, you know, would we do lady bios? Would we do, you know, bios of women from history? Would we just talk about dead women? Oh, God, we have to expand our vision. <laughs> well, and, and one of the reasons why it really stuck with us was by that time, we had been hosting Stuff I've Never Told You together for a number of years. We had just been so immersed in like gender and feminism and all these different facets. And the fact that we did not have at the ready, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. an easy answer to what is a pretty straightforward question, like really threw us for a loop. And also thinking about like, the identity of this particular student who was asking us because she looked a lot like Caroline and me, i.e. she was a white young woman, like cisgender sitting there surrounded by all sorts of privilege, you know, that comes with that. And if our, like, privilege is not enough alone (laughs) to, like, bulldoze through, then what are we really looking at? And we realize that, like, the bigger question underneath all of that is, like, well, okay, it's, the question is, like, well, how, how do you smash the patriarchy? Like, is that just a cute phrase? And then what do you do do once you smash the patriarchy? You Mm -hmm. have to Well, you gotta get out your broom and clean it up because that's also (laughs) women's job. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You cannot leave a mess for someone else to clean up. Yeah, and so so what do you do after you you smash this patriarchy, which is honestly an ongoing act? It's, It's all about claiming your space, you know, so that you have a place to speak up and maybe actually combat the feeling that you are about to be shouted down at any moment. Right. Yeah, I recently was reading an article as as we ended the 2010s and we moved into the 2020s and it was talking about what is this future, what's going to happen. And it had this whole section of, um, I won't go into the weeds because I'm a nerd, I love this stuff, but post-industrial economy and how that might be better suited toward the women. And it was one of the first time, not that I think... This is going to be quick or easy or maybe in my lifetime, probably not. But I I never even thought about what will happen. Like, what would happen if the patriarchy was gone? Right. What would that look like? What would that be like? It almost brought me to tears just thinking about Mm -hmm. it. And I think it has been such a a time of change really quickly Mm -hmm. when it comes to a lot of the things you tackled in this book. So it felt really timely. And as someone who I learned a lot from both of you, I was somebody who got out of college and was just... I didn't know. I didn't know a lot. And there were a lot of things that I did that I didn't realize were internalized misogyny Mm -hmm. or whatever it might be. So I think that the time of this is great. And I think how it's approachable for people of all ages who might not know those things. And it's sort of easy to digest and see. And and the artwork and illustrations. Oh, yeah. Tyler. Tyler Fetter. Yes, Shout she's out. wonderful. And we have literally, as of this recording, never met Tyler in person. Really? We encountered her on the internet. Yeah, we literally met on Twitter. We, yeah, and Kristen, Kristen reached out to her to see if, you know, like, hey, we don't, I don't know you, but uh, <laughs> illustrate my book maybe. <laughs> yeah, Tyler was so instrumental to bringing Unladylike to life because she, without even, like, needing instruction, really understood that 
the kind of representation we wanted to present in the book, that at some point, like, you will, whoever you are, whatever your background, like, you will see yourself reflected Mm -hmm. at some point. Because also, as, like, two white feminists, two feminists who are white, Mm -hmm. writing a feminist guide, we also did not want to just write another, like, white feminist guide. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And going to, like, your point, Annie, of sort of, like, even envisioning a world without patriarchy, like, and what that would even mean, another gap that we were trying to fill is how sort of siloed feminism and gender conversations can be. Like, we'll talk about, oh, you need to negotiate and, like, break some glass ceilings at work. Oh, you know, like, uh, gender equal relationships, whatever that means. But, like, a lot of times I feel like those we never kind of take the bird's eye view of how all of those things intersect. Like mm-hmm. we don't, we're living our lives in a much more like kind of fluid way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's easy to say like go break a glass ceiling, but it's another thing to actually understand how our different identities intersect in a way that makes that a lot harder for certain people than mm-hmm. others. And that's like, we cover that. We have an entire chapter about money because that's not just something you can like touch on and be like, one and done, just try to negotiate a salary, go mm-hmm. girl. There's so much more to it. Yeah, so we talk about money. We've got a chapter on mental health, on our bodies, on beauty, on just the... I want to say mystery, but it's probably not so much of a mystery. Uh, Mystery to the patriarchy, that is the uterus. (laughs) Um, And we talk about, like, we unpack rape culture. We also devote a chapter to activism. So really trying to, like, again, top to bottom, it's to clits, we sometimes say. Well, because also, and it was necessary to do that in our minds because patriarchy is insidious, right? Annie, you mentioned internalized misogyny. I mean... When you talk about patriarchy, we're not just talking about your, like, white boss, Mm -hmm. right? We're, like, talking about a system that is so deeply ingrained in our culture to the point where, yes, it is even something that women uphold. A lot of times white women uphold. And so we wanted to sort of interrogate and investigate how it snakes its way into every corner of our lives. Right. Yeah, and and kind of going off of that, obviously— Feminism is a big topic, and it touches a lot, as does the patriarchy. And you were talking this kind of early process of what do I put in here, what do I not put in here? <laughs> How did you arrive at what you you went with? Well, we had a word count. <laughs> <laughs> True, always. And helpful. by word count, I mean we 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 wanted to put twice as much as we could have in here. Right. How did we really kind of whittle it down? I mean, I feel like we knew so. we knew the big kind of like topic areas that we wanted to cover in terms of, like, body image, beauty standards, money, mental health. But it took a long time of shuffling those Post-it notes around, quite literally, (laughs) uh, to figure out, like, well, what is the chapter? Is the chapter when you're really young, when you're middle-aged, when you're elderly? Or is it, like, when you're a student, when you're a professional? Like, how are we organizing all this? And we kind of wrote Two books? Three books? How many books did we write in the process of writing this book? I think two. Two. I think two. (laughs) Yeah. It was definitely quite a process of just figuring out what went where. But yeah, we knew the basics. Uh, We knew we had to address the ways that things like mental health and gender and race and ethnicity intersected with all of these other aspects of life. And I think like a big guiding question too was... 
what kinds of facets of our lives and facets of gender do we tend to take for granted Mm -hmm. and how can we actually like pull the lens back and provide real context as to where these ideas even came from, what they even mean, and how they apply and intersect with all of our other identities. So really trying to constantly ask the question of, but why? Yeah, well, and what is unladylike? Because definitely in the course of doing too much research and going <laughs> down too many rabbit holes, there there's a bunch of information that didn't make it into the book, sure, But a lot of it, too, was like, wait, 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 wait. Let me back up. Like, this is interesting. This could potentially be helpful. But how does it tie into the idea of what is unladylike? How is this helping contextualize feminism and patriarchy? And ultimately, we had to define for ourselves, like, what is unladylike? It's it's going against expectations Mm -hmm. of gender. It's going against expectations of sex. It's not just some tips and tricks that are handy to pull out from yeah. time to time. Yeah, it's not it's not about etiquette so much as again going into the the research portion especially in looking at how our cultural idea of gender roles and womanhood where that even developed and who was allowed to be a lady mm-hmm. in our society mm-hmm. versus whoever wasn't and it very quickly crystallized that ladyhood and this idea of sort of gendered respectability politics in a way, which is what white ladies like initially leveraged in order to get any sort of like social power in terms of suffrage and things like that. Mm-hmm. But then realizing that ladyhood encompasses so much about the problematic aspects of white feminism right, right. and digging beyond just sort of the platitudes of yeah, gender equality. Right. So speaking of which, when it comes to intersectionality, you talk a lot about very perspective on women of color, black women, women of disabled, queer, gendered, all of that. How did you go into researching this? Because obviously, I say this as an Asian woman, I'm very one perspective. This is what I know. I'll know it from white culture because I was raised in white culture. How did you come about in researching to make sure you had the appropriate information and representation as well as being a voice for white women to be like, hey, we need to look beyond our own selves mm. and what is problematic and what isn't. How did you guys go through and researching, knowing, guessing, I don't know, how to put what in the book? Well, yeah, I mean, just from a terms of like identity standpoint, as you're talking about, we just, we were very, very strict with ourselves about keeping that whole identity piece front and center as we did everything. It was sort of one of the guiding principles in terms of how we approached all of these topics. It's like we know we are two like white, straight, cis, middle-class, college-educated women, Mm -hmm. but we can't only address things that affect us. So if you try to just move away from that singular perspective Mm -hmm. and bring more people into the conversation, the research and then the writing will be that much richer. Right. So with that, what you have in here is awesome because I was reading through and it was very beautiful. The illustrations were very beautiful. I felt represented. Thank you. Thank you very much. How do people who, because let's face it, a lot of our listeners are white females. Same. Would that be correct? For those who are seeking to go beyond their own worlds or beyond their small friend groups, how would you say for them to do it? Obviously, you've got some stuff in here in the book, but it grows. Like the continued knowledge is bigger and better, whether it's the 1619 movement or whatever, as we were listening to and hearing about today. How would you recommend for someone who is seeking to go beyond their own small world? 
We've got a motto. We've got a motto for that. We do have a motto. Give me that motto. So we have a an overall like guiding motto for everything that we make for Unladylike. It's certainly baked into the book and it's also in like every podcast episode that we make. And our motto is stay curious, build empathy, raise hell. Because throughout like our personal and professional journeys, like that has been the theme of what has gotten us to this point. As fellow nerds, you two know the power of just staying curious and relentlessly asking, wait, 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 but why? But why? And like (laughs) seeking out the information until you can find it. And that curiosity cultivates empathy. And empathy is so core to looking at the world through an intersectional lens of actually um, opening your mind up to be able to have difficult conversations and to even to think beyond your own in-group and then taking that and putting it into action, which we call raising hell. And I feel like you can raise hell, you know, we're not talking about necessarily like burning down buildings, okay? <laughs> There's a spectrum. It's not necessarily <laughs> arson. Um, but that can be that can be in everyday ways, whether it is having conversations that you feel uncomfortable having with your partner or with a friend, calling out that racist uncle at the dinner table, whatever it might be, or going into your boss and being like, I'm going to raise some hell in my own life and quit my job and go independent. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything about that. Though. Uh, no, of course not. You guys. Of course not. Oh. I do want to come back to that racist uncle thing. Not for my own. <laughs> no, I just feel like a lot of people... A lot of listeners write in questions about that specifically. How do I handle? Maybe we should go ahead and talk about it. As feminists and ones that raise hell, I'm sure we're all familiar with kind of different shades of of blowback or are having those moments of do I engage? Right. And if so, what is going to be the most beneficial? And you talk about that right. a little bit in the book at the end. Right. So could you go into, do you, if you have anything that's worked for you or just general for that racist uncle, and you're like, <laughs> okay, is this the time? What do I do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, one thing that we preach a lot is just asking why. So on the one hand, we preach asking why for your own education and enlightenment, right? To get the context, to understand, to be a better feminist and a better human. But we also preach actually verbally saying why to that racist uncle or whoever else in your family is racist or other ists <laughs> because being confrontational calling someone a racist or a sexist tends not to work out very well conversationally it turns out uh, people tend to shut down yes. so, and it tends to also reinforce right those ideas it makes them tends to make people more defensive right right and so we definitely advocate asking why why do you believe that or it sounds like you're saying xyz thing is that right oh well how why do you think that way here's how i thought it worked and the more you can sort of productively kind of challenge someone's ideas alongside them, the more productive your conversation can be. Yeah, something else that comes to mind is something we talked about a lot on a, an Unladylike podcast a while back with a guest named Francesca Ramsey. She has an amazing YouTube channel. She does all sorts of stuff. But this is sort of her, one of her specialties 
and she focuses a lot on calling out versus calling in. So when you call someone out, that is, you know, pointing at America's racist uncle (laughs) (laughs) and saying, that's wrong. What you just Mm -hmm. said is totally messed up, and here's the reason why, and kind of putting them on the spot. And sometimes that can be effective. However, what is often more effective and goes more to what Caroline's talking about in terms of starting an actual dialogue, or at least attempting to, I mean, the other person might just be like, I don't want to talk about this, is calling in. So actually pulling someone aside, not like putting them on blast to publicly shame them, although again, that can be an effective tool. (laughs) But you also have the other tool of really trying to, with an open mind, trying to sit down and actually have a conversation to understand where they are coming from and actually see why they even want you to know their opinion about right. this particular thing. Well, and I find that storytelling is really effective, too. I mean, here we are. We're four podcasters in a room. We understand the value of talking and mm-hmm. sharing stories. And I, very personally in my own life, recently have had conversations with two different people who honestly just had questions about certain gender and, like, identity issues And we were able to have a conversation about it, and it went really well because I was able to share stories from my own life, stories about people I know, and that's a much nicer way to illustrate something, not to argue that you should believe in someone's humanity because, of course, you should. And if you don't, like, I can't really help you not be an asshole. So if you do find yourself in a place where you actually are having a conversation with this racist uncle or whoever, storytelling and and sharing these personal stories from your own life can be such an effective way to help them see the benefits of basically having an open mind slash minding their own business. And I feel like this is also a lesson that Caroline and I have learned, like, in the process of being podcasters, like so much of even us walking into Unladylike with an intersectional perspective, I attribute to things that we really learned specifically from Stuff Mom Never Told You listeners who called us in via email and were like, hey, I appreciate what you're doing and I see your good intent. Execution could be improved. Mm -hmm. Here is how. And like... And those kind of moments, like, I appreciate, like, it's why it's why podcasting is so amazing because there are those, it, it can create those kinds of relationships and those kinds of exchanges that we just don't really see that much of on the internet in particular, where it's just all hot takes. Right. right. Yeah, that's a good point. I've never really thought about kind of listener correction as being, hey. So. I know, and it's and you you have to kind of practice the whole, like, open-mindedness, yeah. putting down your defenses and accepting oh, yeah. what they have to say. Defensive you know. white women syndrome, nothing worse. <laughs> yeah. Like, you got to get, white ladies, you got to get past it. You got to allow you yourself to be it. criticized. As white ladies who've had to get past it, you got to get past it. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be so much better on the other side. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I guess kind of related to that, um, I feel like a lot of people hesitate or shy away from the label of feminism because there is this expectation that you have to be perfect. Otherwise, you are a bad feminist, which Roxane Gay did help kind of turn that on on its head and was amazing for me personally. But how have you found, because you've you've both been in this world for a while, (laughs) how have you found like a balance of having confidence in your voice and saying, no, this is my space? 
and I, I deserve to be heard? That's a good question. Oh. I mean, I, w- <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> no, I was about to say, like, from birth, thanks to my mother. Oh, I don't know. Oh, yeah, because I was like, ooh, I'm still wor- hashtag work in progress. <laughs> no, I, I was raised by a very strong slash, I don't know what other adjectives that I could. Vibrant. Yeah, well, yes. I was <laughs> I like, okay, if I'm going to be bleeped, what, what else can I say? No, no, just say vibrant. She's a vibrant woman who would definitely not describe herself as a feminist. She literally came to our very first book event at Agnes Scott College (laughs) and walked up to E.R. Anderson, who is the executive director of Kara Circle, who was helping put on the event. What and is Kara Circle for Kara Circle don't know? is the nonprofit arm, the like foundation arm of Karis Books, which is the oldest feminist bookstore in Georgia or in the southeast. I believe it's the southeast. Yeah. Anyway, put on this wonderful event. My mother like walks right up to ER and is like <sighs> I'm not a feminist. I don't know where she gets it. <laughs> <laughs> I was lucky enough to have two parents who would have, like, literally killed for me and made it safe for me to always be kind of loud and self-righteous. And thank God, through a process of socialization, (laughs) being in college, starting to podcast, I've definitely become better at pointing that energy in a more, like, concentrated, uh, productive direction. See, I feel like I took and am taking... The opposite course to sort of the same destination because I think the thing that has and continues to sort of ground my feminism and my confidence in it and my ownership of that label is learning about the context and, again, like having some some facts and some know-how to support, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. This is this is real, what I'm talking about, and these things do make a difference, and uh, this is not just an empty label. I mean, but even, like, the term feminism, too, is so, can be so slippery because we also don't want to get into the territory of feminism um, just being a catch-all for whatever a woman makes up her mind mm-hmm. to do, mm-hmm. therefore is feminist because it is a woman doing things. Right. Which I think is often how it is, unfortunately, like, portrayed. But yeah, it's for me, it's it's all about context and grounding myself first and also taking some time for self-reflection and asking myself like why I do feel these particular ways and what kinds of personal experiences have shaped my feminism. Because similarly to you, Caroline, like I I was not raised in a an overtly like feminist home. Oh God, no. <laughs> like my I will never forget. My dad, loving dad, telling me, oh, well, uh, you know, I know I know you're a feminist, but you're not like one of those glorious Steinums. <gasps> oh, I love it. <laughs> to which I was like, oh, oh, oh. you have no idea, dad. But um, uh, even worse. <laughs> <laughs> but, but at the same time, like, they raised an accidental feminist because they were very much on the, like, feeding and and supporting, like, curiosity Mm -hmm. um, as a kid, so... Yeah, it's funny. So, okay, like, so I was answering more the question of, like, finding my voice. It was Mm -hmm. kind of a thing of, like, well, I actually had to, like, tone it down and refine that voice. 
But yeah, in terms of feminism too, it was another thing of like I was a slowly boiled frog. Like I don't know a time when I didn't believe in these sorts of philosophies and worldviews, but it just became crystallized as I got older, did the reading, did the listening, and figured out that there was language and history and context around these things. And yeah, and so that is definitely a thing of beauty because no, I was not raised in a in a household where either of my parents would have been like down with feminism. Well, and I like one thing I think about too in terms of the insecurity that I my younger self has had with calling myself a feminist, you know, in like everyday conversations. The point that I had to come to with that was not asking like, well, what's wrong with feminism? Do we need a different term? Um, but rather asking myself like, why am why am I uncomfortable with possibly making other people uncomfortable? Yeah, and possibly making other people th- think that, you know, if other people think that I'm a man hater, why is that my problem? Right. right. Yeah. So my roommate's dad came to visit recently. And while he was waiting for his daughter to get ready, he took a look at my bookshelves, which are stocked with all sorts of subversive things. <laughs> and by that, I just mean like a couple of feminist books <laughs> and then some novels, you know, like, but it was, when I say subversive, that's heavy air quotes and it's subversive to him. Yes. <laughs> and he asked his daughter, he did not ask this in front of me, but he asked my roommate, so, uh, what kind of feminist is Caroline? And she's like, what do you mean? And he said, well, is she the, like, equal rights feminist or is she, like, the I hate all men feminist? (laughs) She was like, well, Dad, of course she's, like, equal rights. And I was like, well, truth be told, it depends on the day. Today. But, yeah, but I I do think that that's so funny because I think perhaps a younger me would have been concerned similarly of, like— not upsetting people, but, like, I don't want you to think that I'm mean and won't listen and can't right. have a conversation and then I'm a bitch. Um, but, yeah, as I've gotten older also, um, I care so much less about yeah. what other people think to about caring me. caring so much less. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's what happens with age. You yes. Just start loving the fact that, hey, I'm just going to go braless. I don't care. It's all hanging <laughs> down. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> We have some more of our conversation with Unladylike, but first we're going to pause for a quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Going back to the the bad feminism thing and how people, I think for some people they shy away because they feel they can't hold themselves to these standards. Mm -hmm. And I was that way for a while. And I think that this is great because it has chapters on things that we, a lot of us have a lot of anxiety around, like beauty, Mm -hmm. where you're like, well, am I supporting the patriarchy by doing these things? Does it mean if I wear lipstick, then I'm a terrible (laughs) feminist? Get out. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) So I think it's great to have kind of, as you said, some people just have questions or some people just want something to, to be like, okay, no, this is all right. <laughs> I, I should think about the, the why I have anxiety around it. Yeah. But it's all right. We were discussing earlier when we were talking about doing this that as you were pitching this book, it was 2016. Yes. And you were perhaps per- <laughs> pitching. A, there was a yes. different thing in your mind. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. We, we were pitching a book for like a a feminist manual for this incredible age when we have the first female president and isn't 
feminism, just like the law of the land now. Huzzah! <laughs> like I, literally, like I pantsuits for all. <laughs> at one point, when we when we finally we started actually writing the book in 2017, and there was a point when I had to stop, and I was like, why does this feel? so difficult at this moment <laughs> and somehow i like ran across like the the initial like little kind of like cover letter for the book and i was like oh cuz i thought we were writing it for a totally different era yeah <laughs> okay yeah. in our in our editing process and with our actual editor there were like so many trump references that had to be taken out she's like you want your book to be evergreen right and it's like yeah the first draft i think was us just like working out a lot of initial <laughs> anger <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so much anger i was going to say how would it have changed now with a uh, we're rerunning some of the things that, some of the mistakes that had happened when you were first starting this book. I mean, I was, okay, funny you asked Samantha oh, because okay. I was just kind of thinking about that recently and like what, what will be the next step because like regardless of what happens in 2020. And the thing that I came back to was the white feminism of it all mm-hmm. and the problematic white ladiness of it all and that that is still a a message that the white women need to understand. I'm not articulating it well, but no. um well, I, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> oh, oh, I thought I was like, no. <laughs> I understand what you're saying. I'm mean, like, no, no, you're, you're okay, articulate. Okay. I get what you're saying. Maybe it's because I'm like, yeah. <laughs> because, well, because there was first the shock of like, oh, wait, we uh, America actually wanted to elect a, a racist, misogynist, like, orange human? Okay. And then there's been this kind of slow rollout that I've noticed of white women in particular still being shocked by white women in particular being complicit in all of that, upholding all of that. Also, if we look at voting patterns, like here in Georgia, for instance, the 2018 election was also a big moment for me of like, okay, maybe we need to rewrite unladylike, but just make it, okay, white, la- dear white ladies, <laughs> pick up this book, please. Because um, Stacey Abrams was running for governor, and the exit polling mm-hmm. of that election was so disheartening because so few white women were comfortable voting for her. And right. that was also something that I heard particularly from older white women in my life who were who would not explicitly say that they weren't on board with her because she is a black woman. Right. But I could read between those lines. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is, there's just still, there's a long road to hoe still for a lot of like white feminism that needs to be, I'm making a gesture, like I'm weeding. Yes. It needs to be (laughs) uprooted. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I like that gesture. Very good. I was just saying if you wanted to add to it. Oh, well, the only thing that I would, add would be in terms of like what would we potentially rewrite or do differently yeah. at this point it's like well <laughs> n- not all that much right honestly because right. Yeah. we're still in a same rerun bucket of sick bleep so <laughs> you bleeped yourself i, I enjoyed myself. that thank you 
Thank you're you welcome. for helping us out. You're yes. welcome. Save us. <laughs> Anything I can do. On the production side. <laughs> yeah, Including this conversation we're having about it. <laughs> you already kind of touched on this a little bit when we were talking about finding your voice and all of that, because you do have a section about imposter syndrome, which obviously is a huge thing still and will be for a long, long, long while, even as our new election is coming on and we see the erasure of Elizabeth Warren, I find that one more kind of caveat of, yeah, this is why we have an imposter syndrome. Here's this woman who we've been told that if she was the elect before she would have won because she's so <laughs> likable, but we're here and we're being told, oh, no, no. No, she's not really that. Well, I know, she's not like, really that the, great. Like, I, it's not that I, it's not that I wouldn't vote for a woman. Like, I would totally vote for Elizabeth Warren. It's just mm-hmm. that, like, she's not the one running. It's Hillary. And now that we're like, we're here. All right, y'all. Like, Elizabeth Warren's <laughs> running. And they're like, well, I would t- totally vote for a woman, but 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 not any of these women who are running. Right. Every time. Like as Every long time. as can I just can I like nominate a woman from like my neighborhood? I actually right. like Tulsi. My grandma. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, sorry. I don't, don't want to get to like. Oh, God. I'm leaving. That's a whole side Oh, God. I'm leaving. Um, Sorry, I said the T word. She said that word. But yeah, but with that, I mean, that just kind of adds to, oh, my gosh, these people who we see as the standard of possibly succeeding mm-hmm. are not succeeding, whether right. it's Stacey Abrams, as we talked about before, or Elizabeth Warren, as we we're talking about. And it kind of adds to that whole imposter syndrome once again, and you guys dive into it. What do you say for, and, and you know, we've talked about it many times, you've talked about it many times, but what do we say for women who, let's say politically, because I want to talk to those who are thinking about running, because we need more and more and more representation yes. out there about those who may be experiencing the imposter syndrome and or breaking that down or how to break away from it. Well, something that I think you said earlier, Samantha, jumps out in terms of starting with a worldview that is like clear-eyed about the realities of sexism, racism, unconscious bias that there is so much research on now in terms of voting behaviors and things like that. So I think that not to say that, like, you have to assume that it's going to be terrible and that you will win, but also understand that, like, these are the forces that are in place. And one thing that we really tried to focus on in the women that we profile in Unladylike, mm-hmm. like a Shirley Chisholm, who also ran for president in 1972. So when she was running, Patsy Mink, a representative from Hawaii, mm-hmm. also ran the same year. And... They understood very clearly that their chances of winning were slim to none. Mm -hmm. And the reason why they did it anyway was for the visibility of it, so Mm -hmm. that women could see that women, and especially women of color, could and should run. That if we keep waiting for the time to be right, for someone to be electable, let's mm-hmm. say, that you're going to be waiting until you die. Yeah, right. Shirley Chisholm has the quote, it's time to make that someday come. I feel like we should start singing. Yeah. I know. I, I know. I, was I don't have a song. I don't have a song. So I don't know if that's like a, a super hopeful message or not, but like with the women that we revere from history for their accomplishments, one thing that we discovered very quickly in actually digging into all the things that led up to those accomplishments is that there's usually a lot of like struggle and troubleshooting and failure and trying again that comes along the way. And that's something I have to remind myself of. Like if we think that like all of our icons are just these like perfect women who are able to just go out and elbow their way into the history books, like 
No, it takes it takes work, and that's okay. Right. It that's takes okay. work. It takes work. It takes, like Kristen said, acknowledging the things that you will be up against, like sexism, racism, the likability BS, but also understanding that there are concrete steps that can help you build your confidence and build the people around you who can then help lift you up. So making those connections, being accountable. You know, I feel like people always talk about accountability with like their New Year's resolutions, like tell a friend and then they're going to guilt you for it. Mm -hmm. But the same thing kind of almost applies for running for office or, or, you know, even if that's like school board all the way up, just telling people that you love, that you have this idea that you want to do, finding people who will stand alongside you, starting to ask people about like, would you support a campaign if I did something like this? Mm -hmm. Just getting those initial questions and connections rolling is a great place to start building your confidence. Yeah, and also just taking a look at the hundreds of available elected offices. Like you said, Caroline, it might be Mm. school board. It might be county coroner. Like there are all different kinds of things. Like we often think of like women running for office as running for the office of the presidency. But looking at what fits your skills telling people the sooner the better to get that accountability going. And also, the good news is that I do think there are so many organizations now that have Mm -hmm. developed and strengthened, especially since 2016, like an EMILY's list. Mm -hmm. In Georgia here, there's the WIN list. There are so many groups that are focused specifically on getting women into office, getting women the tools that they need to actually run a campaign. Mm -hmm. So, I mean... There's never been a better time right. to run for office if right. you are a woman. And also You're just running. one thing that... Yeah. <laughs> and this is where <laughs> I'm <laughs> taking the chance to... Here we go. <laughs> announce that I'm running for president. <laughs> Podcast so, president. Done. Of this room. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? You don't have my vote. Oh, damn it. <laughs> you have You're not likable. No. Um, I, don't I I'm know it? <laughs> no, um, another thing I will say, so like as you are doing your confidence building and you're talking to people and you're being accountable... Please, please, please keep in the back of your mind just how many unqualified men are Mm, running. Right. And just let that light a fire under your ass. What motto did Lacey Mosley leave us with? Oh, what would Chad do? Yeah, what would white Chad do? Oh, your poor dad. I know my dad's name is Chad. <laughs> yeah, she didn't. She didn't know. Like, what? So we your interviewed. We interviewed Lacey Mosley, who hosts the hilarious podcast Scam Goddess, and uh-huh. we asked for any advice from her at the end of the episode. And she gave us a couple tips, and one of them was like, lead with the confidence of a mediocre white man. Right. What would Chad do? <laughs> and Chad and I, would run for office. He'd be like, um, if not me, then who? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of mottos, in your imposter syndrome, at one point you do talk about a mantra or sayings to have Mm -hmm. to shift to a realistic perspective. Do you have a mantra? And if so, can you share? So I have a new one. I'm very excited to share this. So I go to therapy a lot. (laughs) And... My therapist just introduced something to me that I literally, I don't do this. I mean, I I have things that I'll like repeat to myself every once in a while, you know, as good reminders. But one thing that I've been saying to myself a lot is it's okay to do what's right for you. I don't want to be gender essentialist, but I feel like a lot of women still in this day and age, 2020, are, you know, putting everyone else first. Mm -hmm. And it is okay to do what's right for you, whether that's asking for something or taking some sort of action. 
And I have been saying that a lot because I feel like there's a lot of stuff in this world that we as women are made to feel guilty about, ashamed of, when we really don't need to be carrying that guilt or shame around because it's not our effing problem. Again, it's not our problem what other people think of us. So yeah, that is my that is my current like that. one that I'm saying. I also think that can apply to anyone who feels like they are not worthy of the mantle of feminism mm-hmm. in terms of thinking of it as like all of these rules and actions that you have to abide by, like, let that go. For myself, in terms of a motto, I also am deep in therapy. (laughs) Um, And one of the most important things that I have done for myself in the past year is make a concerted effort to talk to myself as I would a friend. Mm -hmm. Because... Nobody can cut me down faster than I can myself. Mm -hmm. And that is such an easy trap to fall into. And it is, like, so self-reinforcing. Like, if I'm spending all my time tearing down everything that I do, if I can't believe in myself, who's going to? Right. I like that. Jumping into another portion of your book. Cool. This is what I'm going to do. Um, it is book club. It is book That's club. True. We're going to talk more about your book. So about modesty. Ooh, yes. Yes. Mm. And one of the things that was hitting me, you did a whole bit about dressing modest and talking about whether or not they feel too provocative. Did I do this? The question stage of whether it's an assault, whether it's catcalling, whether it's being ignored, was the way I dress or was what I look like mm-hmm. the problem. And this was actually a tactic, once again, used by Donna Rotuno from the Harvey Weinstein case with, so you guys are familiar because we kind of spoke on this on our update, about uh, attacking her, her sobriety, attacking her modesty, attacking her just willingness to be there. Do you have any thoughts about how to come to a point that we can try to end this nonsensical approach that is still happening, obviously, in very, very big and um, in the open? Everybody's paying <laughs> in attention. public? Thank you. <laughs> this is what happens. In the big open. In the big open. <laughs> as we call in it. In a field, when you, you know, get women together you in You know, field. in the big open. I don't mean to be glib about this, (laughs) but it seems so obvious to me that if we knew that a uniform of turtlenecks and baggy sweatpants had the power to prevent sexual assault and rape and harassment, would we not all be wearing sweatpants and turtlenecks every day? We'd all be walking around looking like Elizabeth Holmes. (laughs) What do you mean, Caroline? <laughs> uh, now, do I tend to wear turtlenecks and or sweatpants pretty much every day? Yes. Yes, I do. However, um, <laughs> that is not the reason why. But you know what I mean? Like, right. If modesty were as potent a force as we are taught to believe, I mean, I very much grew up in a modesty mm-hmm. household. Ooh, boy. Or should I say, ooh, girl? (laughs) Um, Or ooh, any gender. Okay. Um, If it were such a potent force, like, how how would rape culture even exist? Right. Right. Yeah, it is something that's too deeply embedded at this moment slash throughout history to be uprooted just by changing into a sweater. Because when we all agree, I mean, it's it's— a widely accepted fact, I think we can say, that sexual assault and rape has existed 
since time immemorial, and that takes into account all the different fashions <laughs> that humans have ever have ever worn, and we've never Chain still mail. haven't figured out mm-hmm. how to Togas. how to do mm-hmm. that. Like maybe tunics, maybe like how many more like millennia do we need? to understand that it's not about the clothes. Well, and also, I mean, take into account the fact that the majority of sexual assaults occur from someone you know, someone who's close to you. And we tend to talk about this type of thing as like some boogeyman jumping out of the bushes because you're wearing a short skirt, you know, like, oh, I can't control myself. And it's like, that's not, the math doesn't add up there. Yeah, stranger danger is like sort of the least of our worries, (laughs) statistically speaking. We do have a little bit more left for you listeners, but first we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So we did want to also get with our listener emails oh, and, cool. and listener questions. And some of them are pretty open and broad okay. <laughs> to talk about it. These are from Instagram. So these are the oh, questions okay. that came from Instagram. And one of the Instagram followers, Home Sweet Bakery O. Cool. Hi. Yes, I know. And it, her cakes look delicious. Mm. Your cake looks Ooh. delicious. Most cupcakes <laughs> look delicious. I went and stalked. Who are your favorite boss ladies and what makes them your favorite? Ooh, I mean, definitely Shirley Chisholm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because... Bring a folding chair to the table. If there's not a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. There we mm-hmm. go. Probably one of my favorite boss ladies just because of that attitude. She was not going to wait, like we said earlier. She was not going to wait for some day to come. She was going to make some day happen now. She was also just like more than just being like a lot of amazing talk. She was also just an incredibly effective politician who cared so much about the people she represented. There's nothing not to admire. It's a double negative, and I apologize. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, a go-to that feels really obvious but nonetheless important is Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yes. Because not only is, you know, she obviously a badass on the Supreme Court, but also just her journey to get there. I know this really has nothing to do with feminism, but I am convinced that the woman does not need sleep because there was a time when she was in law school. So was her now late husband. He got sick. I believe he had to go through cancer treatment. He was like down and out. She also had a baby at the time. She went to classes for the both of them. And, like, got them both through that period and managed to raise a child and also get on the Supreme Court. She's—she can fit in your pocket. I can barely do all my laundry. But, Kristen, tell the people about her connection to Polly Murray. Oh, okay. So— Mm-hmm. One of our unladylike icons of the ages is a woman named Polly Murray, and she was in law school a little bit before Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and she was really sitting at the intersection of gender and race, and she really sort of developed the legal foundations of what we think of as intersectionality, of realizing that there was not a space in the law that took into account the discrimination that women of color face both as being women and being women of color and sort of the double jeopardy that that would put them into. And she dedicated her life, her scholarship, her brilliance, her allyship to really forging out a lot of what would become the legal background for second wave feminism. Mm -hmm. And 
Ruth Bader Ginsburg would go on to cite Polly Murray in the case that she argued before the Supreme Court that established gender discrimination as unconstitutional for the very first time. Mm-hmm. So two amazing women, but also amazing, again, that Ruth Bader Ginsburg isn't one of those white ladies. Yes. <laughs> she yes. actually cited the work of a black woman who came before and established this scholarship. Right. Which is phenomenal. Yeah. So we've got another one from our friends, patron saints of pop culture. What is your all-time favorite feminist movie, TV show, and why? I mean, I will say Buffy the Vampire Slayer is hard to top as far as a TV show. Annie, I know you're a fan. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I only watched it for the first time like a few years ago, and it has aged well. And, I mean, watching Sarah Michelle Gellar like kick some vampire bootay it still gives me a lift. Um, <laughs> this is a really weird answer. Just please Ooh. roll with me. I'm going to say Outlander. Claire is like such a feminist, and I love how it becomes part of the culture clash of her going back to the 18th century. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a time-traveling show. Uh, speaking of time-traveling, one of my new favorite feminist movies is Little Women, (laughs) Greta Gerwig's Little Women. It is a feminist reinterpretation. Uh, I was unprepared for how much I was going to love it, Mm -hmm. and um, if y'all haven't seen it, definitely do. And I mean, Shrill, Sex Education is a show on Netflix that I'm loving. In terms of books, I mean, there's too many. Did she ask for a book? Did she ask for books? Oh, sorry. Stop. I mean, don't you, don't do you, what you don't want. You say <laughs> you, don't, don't you I'll, I'll limit it to on-screen media. I, I, <laughs> Those are the only We only want to book one book. <laughs> no, there's only one <laughs> book, only and it's one ours. My favorite feminist book is Unladylike. <laughs> Unladylike. Why would we promote anything else? What's wrong with you? You're doing this wrong. Ashley J. Sanch asked, what old-school Sminty episode would you redo on Ladylike style? Oh, uh, colorism. Colorism. Absolutely. That so colorism, we we you know, we talked about black women, light skin, dark skin, discrimination, all of this stuff. But the thing is, when we did that episode, we did not actually interview any black women. We talked about the issue, we broke it down, we did our sminty thing of giving the history and the context and the explanation of it all. That was an episode where we heard from a lot of black women who were like, cool. Thanks. Yeah, glad you're talking about it. Like, it's important, but also, did you maybe think it would have been better to invite a, I don't know, black woman into the studio? (laughs) Um, So, yeah, and that's, like, to kind of jump off that really quickly, like, that is definitely one of our guiding principles of Unladylike. The podcast is to bring in people to tell their own stories rather than us talking about other people's stories. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I would in a heartbeat that would be one of one of mine. Yeah, a, a big goal for ours with the Unladylike podcast, ironically, question mark, is that we wanted to talk less and listen more. Mhm. Mhm. What would you redo? I was hoping we were going to just go with yours because I was like, you've got one on the spot. Now I'm going to think through like 500 episodes. I know. I know. There are more than that. Leslie wrote, "I love how much you fit in the book." But no, you probably had to leave a lot of information out. How did you decide what you put in the book? I'm currently reading it now and love it. So sort of what I asked earlier. Um, but that is, I'm sure, I like I, I 
How did you even start? Well, and then how did you find all of the people that you put in to highlight? How did oh, you decide who? Oh, God, so many more people. So think, many more people than made it into the book. That was one of the first things yes. that we did because when we were even putting together the idea for the book, we were thinking, like Caroline mentioned earlier, like there were all these kind of feminist memoirs of like an Amy Poehler, a Tina Fey, Mindy Kaling, but they were just like individuals stories. Um, And we were like, well, we have run across like so many incredible women that I bet we could glean advice even for, Mm -hmm. you know, today's situations from them. And so one of the first things that we did, because honestly, it was just like some fun homework was, let's find all of the coolest women we've never (laughs) heard of and put them on a sheet and maybe we'll write about all of them. Yep. And we almost, we almost did. So originally the structure of the book was that, okay, yeah, you would have the individual chapters, right? But within each chapter, and this is how the book is set up, within each chapter, there are sections Mm -hmm. of information. And we were going to have a bio of, of a person, not at the end of every chapter, but at the end of every section. Wow. And our editor was like, are you insane? How many, how many volumes? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Is this like a 26-volume set? So, yeah, there are a lot of rad women we didn't get to include, but we have just launched a Patreon called Extra Unladylike where... <laughs> Some of our episodes are getting to tell those those women's stories, which is which is fun. Yeah, um, and, and in terms of like deciding like what to put in there for each chapter, something that really helped was starting with just a list of questions we wanted to make sure that we answered mm-hmm. and everything else in addition to that, if it could fit, would just be, you know, gravy. Nice. Gravy. Super gravy. God. There it is. (laughs) Who's cool? The cherry on top. (laughs) You know. We're cool. Like the kids say. Like all the kids say. That slaps. (laughs) What? The kids say that. That slaps. Do the kids say that? They do. They do. What is this? I'm I'm odd. Thanks. I had slap bracelets as a kid. I did too. They were very dangerous. They were. What if I (laughs) rusted? Oh my God. One, what are they um, letting us do? I don't know. There was a girl in first grade, Meredith. Uh-oh. I was so jealous of her because not only did she have, like, really beautiful, long, dark brown hair, but she also showed her status by wearing slap bracelets, oh like, gosh. up her forearms. I was like, oh, my God, she has so many slap bracelets. I bet Meredith would feel so good to, like, <laughs> Meredith today would be like, oh, you remember me from that. Yeah. Oh. Slap bracelets. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. Is that what that, Isn't that what we're always talking about? Is it? Ultimately, well, it's like, subtext. I've, I've never heard the, <laughs> that slap, so I'm very confused. Anyway, this is a question from Facebook. Kathy wrote and asked, How scary was it to branch out on your own? What clued you in that it was time to start Unladylike? Also, will you be my Unladylike friend? Uh, Kathy, first of all, yes. <laughs> Love to be your Unladylike friend. The point that... I knew that it was time to go was I had reached a point when I was itching for more kind of of a creative sandbox in terms of the podcast because by that point, Caroline and I had literally recorded like hundreds of episodes where it was, I don't want to say just us, but it was us like talk having discussions amongst ourselves mm-hmm. about all of these topics and um, as Stuff Mom Never Told You was kind of getting off the ground in those early years, like the podcast universe at large was also developing and people were kind of branching off and doing interesting things with audio. So 
on the one hand, it was a desire to just flex our creative muscles and see if we could tell stories about feminism and gender in new sorts of ways mm-hmm. and reach new listeners that we otherwise could not as long as we were two cis straight white women talking to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also um, you got really inspired when you went to a women's podcasting conference and just saw, just frankly saw the possibilities out in the universe mm-hmm. for how to play in that sandbox and, and just sort of what the possibilities were creatively, editorially, all of it. And when we got the book deal, that is ultimately what enabled us to leave our day jobs and start Unladylike Media, the company. And so we had a little bit of cash in the bank, and ultimately that is what allowed us to pursue it. You know, if we didn't have, if we didn't have that financial boon, it would have been a lot harder to step out. Mm-hmm. And so while there was fear and, you know, a little bit of imposter syndrome, a little bit of concern, ultimately we were like, we have to do this. We have to be able to walk the walk and do what we've been encouraging our own audience to do, which is own your stuff, claim your space, get what you deserve. And um, that made it a lot easier to then step out. And I think some important context too is that you and I did not set out to become podcasters. No. Like they didn't even exist nope. when we were in high school. This was something, an opportunity that I feel super fortunate that it became a part of my job because after I started How Stuff Works, then podcasting became a thing and it became an opportunity that I could step into. But once we were in the space for a while and kind of had like our wherewithal, it was kind of the first time that I know for myself personally, like... It was the first time that I set my sight on something. I don't know. I don't want to say it was the first time I had a dream, but I'd always played my life pretty safe. I never envisioned myself, not only like in the podcasting space, but just in the self-employment space. Like that seemed, what? What am I doing? But the timing just felt, just felt right. And also too, I mean, leading up to all of that, the... The internet in 2016 leading up to that election was such a dumpster fire that I coasted just on rage for a good six months. I mean, I wasn't scared of leaving. I was just like, oh, yeah, we're going to do this. So she was the Kool-Aid man. I was the Kool-Aid man. I I Kool-Aid faked it till I made it. And by that, I made it into my therapist's office. You you smashed through the wall of the office and left. Yeah, it it was once we were then actually in the process of developing a new podcast, establishing a new business and brand and writing a book all at the same time and also like attempting to like have a life beyond that when it started to actually get scary. And I'm so glad that it took a while for the fear to come because if oh yeah it hadn't uh, I, you know like it never would have happened. Right. Mm-hmm. If we had known what we were in for Like, the rewards have been great in terms of being able to create this brand, write this book, all of this wonderful stuff, create a community around what we're doing. But, yeah, if we had had an inkling of how intense it would be, um, it would have been, I think, harder to make that leap. Yeah. So timing was perfect. 
timing. Was it was the best of times. Perfect. It was the worst of times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's fair. Well, I'm so thrilled that we could have both of you here um, to do this because you've been inspirations for us and I know for a lot of listeners. And we're so eager to see what you continue to do, hopefully collaborate more. Um, any listeners who haven't read the book, please do it because it's well-written, well-researched. <laughs> and it's just, like, I don't know how to... It's hard to envision a book that is about so much, like, intersectionality and feminism, all these things that we sort of don't really like having to deal with. I don't know. It was... I, I read it, and I, right. I loved it. Well, and thank so, you, Annie. Thank you. Yeah. I keep handing mine out. Caroline yelled yeah, at me. Yeah, uh, so... I would buy them and then hand it out, and be like, I'd buy another one, hand it out. Yeah, Samantha kept giving it away, and so, Samantha, I want you... needs this book. I want alive? you to read... What I inscribed out loud. <laughs> so so it has to be bleeped for sure. This says this belongs to Samantha, very large capital letters. Mm-hmm. Don't give this shit away, ass. <laughs> love Caroline. <laughs> That's about right. So she has um, to keep it. So I, I told I, I did because uh, Annie kind of did the same thing, loaned it, and I was <laughs> like, hey, uh, we need to, we're going to get all things together. She's like, do I need to inscribe? I'm like, you may have to, because I can't give mine. Annie. I can't give mine away. Stop giving This is going to be a really awkward exchange. (laughs) But also, for those out there who are wanting an introduction to what feminism looks like today and why intersectionality is important, this is a great book. I've given it away uh, to teenagers and younger people because I think it's a fantastic guide, as you said, something that we never had, things that we had to guess, and then try to figure out what feminism really meant instead of the big bad F word. Right. And I think this is a fantastic, fantastic book to give Thank to everyone, you. male, female, non-binary, young, old, give it to them. Thank you, Thank Samantha. You so much. Thank and, you, Annie. And you know what? I'm also really glad that we ended up taking the unladylike leap because otherwise we wouldn't be sitting here at the table talking to these amazing co-hosts of Stuff Mom Never oh, Told You. Well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love you too. We love you so much. <laughs> it's mutual. Now it's an ASMR podcast. It's yeah. perfect. perfect. Well, this seems like the best finally making feminist book club happening, <laughs> having you here. Thank you. Where can listeners find you? Do you have anything? I know you do. Exciting. Coming up oh, on the horizon. Yes. yes we're on and tour. It's hitting the road. Yay. We're doing an East Coast tour. Tickets are on sale. It's in April. Doing an East Coast tour. Kicks off April 26th in Chicago it's at 22nd. Lincoln Hall. It kicks off <laughs> April 22nd in Chicago at Lincoln Hall, where we will be meeting face-to-face for the very first time, the one and only Unladylike Illustrator, Tyler Fetter. Ooh. Yeah, it's very exciting. That it's is. like a, the biggest blind date of my life. <laughs> it's going to be Perfect. amazing. I hope we love I each other. I hope she likes us. I know. Yeah. <laughs> That's the big question. Uh, but yeah, it, you can definitely follow us at Unladylike Media on all of the social medias. If you want to write us a love letter, it's hello at unladylike.co. We also have a private Facebook group because we're cool like that. And, uh, yeah, you can go to patreon.com slash unladylikemedia to directly support us. Awesome. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks, Thank y'all. Thank you fun, y'all. so much for, for coming here. in. We're at the end of our first, our first book club. Yay, we did it. Yay, we did it. And thanks to everybody who sent in questions. That was really awesome. In the future, we're hoping to maybe have, like, an interactive Wine or non-alcoholic drinking part of this. Yes. Yeah, you know. A mocktail. Yeah. And a cocktail. Yes. 
or one or the other. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, but we really need you to send in your suggestions. Send in suggestions. And then when we start talking about the fact that we're going to do it, send us questions. Yes. Be a part of it. We want you to give us opinions because it's probably better than what we have. <laughs> Or at least it will add to what oh, we okay. have. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and also, just a few other specific tropes or themes you want us to dive into with these these books, because otherwise, Samantha knows I might just read my fan fiction, and you don't want that. And you can email any of those questions, suggestions, thoughts to stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can also find us on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You and on Twitter at Mom Stuff Podcast. Thanks as always to our super producer, Andrew Howard. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff Mom Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 